Steadily, steadily we are making our way toward Easter. Just two weeks, two weeks from today, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, ushering in what is the high point of our Christian faith, our Savior's passing over from death to life, which is the center of our faith in Christ. But before we get to the joy of Christ's resurrection at Easter, we must first grapple with the harsh reality of Jesus' rejection, his suffering, and his death. Before there is Easter, there is first Good Friday. We get a foretaste of this in the gospel lesson for today as Jesus tells the parable of the wicked tenants in the vineyard. And we must confront the ugly truth of tenants who come to see themselves as owners rather than tenants and act as such. Jesus tells this parable in order to open eyes and hearts and minds. Do we see ourselves in those tenants? If anything should convince us of the pressing need we have for God's mercy and forgiveness, it should be that gospel lesson for today. And in needing this, and graciously receiving these gifts, this must lead us beyond ourselves, for we can't only be receivers of this undeserved mercy and forgiveness in receiving this gift from God. We are called then to become agents of forgiveness, forgiving others as God and Christ has forgiven us, as God's baptized children, just like Winnie was baptized here this morning, we're called to walk in newness of life day by day. We're called to become God's change agents in the world around us beginning with the broken relationships that we have in each of our lives. How will the ugly cycle of finger pointing and blaming and retribution and isolation and fear, how will this cycle get short-circuited and redirected except through Christ who is at work in each of our lives? And so our Lenten preaching series, Go and Be Reconciled, continues today with this theme, Forgive as God forgave you. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. Vineyards. That's what I should have had up just a sentence ago. Forgive as God forgave you. We're gonna move on now. Vineyards, well, we think of them as peaceful places out in the beautiful rolling countryside, nice place to spend an afternoon. You don't have to go very far from here out west to enjoy a pleasant afternoon at the vineyard, including out west toward Charlottesville, which is now going into the, uh, right, the uh, final game of the NCAA playoff. They beat Auburn last night. Hmm, <laughs> gotta love that. 
vineyard, pleasant place, but that's not what we encounter in the gospel lesson for today. Something quite different than that. We live in a time of rapid urbanization as more and more people travel and move to cities in search of work and jobs. And this isn't just happening here in our own country, it's a, a global phenomenon. But we're not the first generation to experience this. Today's parable is actually a byproduct of ancient urbanization. Galilee and other parts of the Middle East experienced this same thing in the first century AD as small individual land holdings got incorporated and gobbled up into large estates that were owned by wealthy city dwellers. And the original land holders, who were the peasants, then became the tenants. And ancient documents contain reports of tenants who were desperate and driven to ruthless behavior, like what we hear of in today's gospel lesson. But that's really where the parable sort of breaks down for us, right? Because what owner would continue to send unprotected messengers, including his own son, when the tenants are resorting to violence? Who would do that? Well, clearly the tenants are violating the crop share agreement that they have with the landowner. There's no word here about oppression or manipulation of those tenants by the landowner. No complaints about unfair labor practices or working conditions. The landowner, the vineyard owner, was just trying to collect what was his rightful due. And you heard what the tenants do in response. They beat up the owner's servants, insulting them, thereby insulting the landowner himself. It only gets worse. The violence just escalates when the sun shows up. The tenants throw him out of the vineyard and they kill him, thinking they'll get the inheritance for themselves. All of this sounds pretty unbelievable to our ears. So how would we respond in a situation like that were we the vineyard owner? What would we do? We don't have to go to school to learn revenge. It just comes naturally to us. We'd have every right to come down hard with the hammer of law and justice, of course. But is God calling us to learn a different way here? You see, God is the maker and owner of heaven and earth. We are merely the tenants of what belongs to God. But how we often act like it all belongs to us. My house, my car, my job, my money, my life. All of these things 
are just on loan to us to manage for a time. Time and again, God sent his servants, the prophets, who were those messengers in that parable, time and again, God sent them to call his tenants, his wayward people, back to himself. Time and again, scripture records, God's people rejected those messengers. They did exactly to them what the tenants did to the messengers in the parable. They insulted them. They beat them up. They threw them out. They killed them. And in Scripture, God describes his chosen people as stiff-necked, hard of heart. Over and over again, they stubbornly resist the Lord. Is it any different with us? And yet in the midst of all of this, when God could bring the hammer of his law and justice soundly and righteously upon this kind of rebellion and disobedience, God does something that is so counterintuitive, it blows our mind. He sends his only son into that sin-infested vineyard to be killed by those miserable tenants. <laughs> Would you do that? Don't think any of us would do this, but this is what God did. You see, they could take away Jesus' clothing. They could take away his reputation. They could tear him away from his mother. They could take away his friends. They could even take away his life. They could strip him of everything, but they could not take away his power to forgive. Not the tenants in the story, not Herod, not Pilate, not Judas, not Peter and the disciples, not the crowd, not even we can take away Christ's power to forgive. This is the radical reversal, this forgiveness that comes from the cross. This power to forgive, it comes from outside ourselves because by nature, we're bent on getting even and extracting our pound of flesh. It must come from outside us, from God in Christ and what he has done to forgive us at the cross. Because it's there at the cross while he is being nailed to that cross that the son prays. And he prays for those who are not only nailing those nails into his flesh, he prays for us as well. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My friends, this is the mind-blowing, counterintuitive, forgiving love of God that is seen most clearly here at the cross 
And it's here at the cross that God begins to build a new creation that's founded on this new cornerstone that is his son, Jesus. One commentator writes that Golgotha, the place of Jesus' crucifixion, may well have been an abandoned stone quarry. Abandoned because of poor quality stone. Think about that. So on that first Good Friday, from the walls of the city above, people could see the crucifixion of this outsider in the quarry below outside the city walls. They rejected Christ just as they rejected the inferior stone from that quarry. And yet the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And you and I, we are now through our baptism into Christ's death and resurrection, we are being built up into a living temple. Stones, living stones, built upon that chief cornerstone. And this is where God's forgiveness kicks into high gear. Christ did not reject those who rejected him, he still doesn't. Can we learn to do the same? By the power of Christ, our chief cornerstone, God calls us to forgive as he forgives us. This is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This gets at the thorny, nagging, prickly relationships where forgiveness is hard and it doesn't come easy. But who are we to hold on to old grudges and grievances when God in Christ has forgiven us? That's what God calls us to do. And in so doing, we begin to learn, we begin to live out what Paul writes about in that epistle lesson for today, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on toward what lies ahead. That's our upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Because of what God in Christ has done for you, we are now called to be ambassadors 
of reconciliation. God calls us to forgive as we have been forgiven, bit by bit, day by day, as God helps us to live and grow into the grace first given us in holy baptism, we see what Paul writes in that verse from Colossians at work in your life and in mine. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. May God help us all to go and be reconciled, forgiving one another as he has forgiven us. Amen.